Hi, listeners. Producer Doug here, giving you a little heads up on this particular episode of the Oxygen Starved podcast. We recorded this episode prior to the COVID-19 emergency, which has changed so many lives, originally intending it to be the lead-up episode to Fishmas, the fishing season opener that traditionally takes over Mono County at the end of April. In it, we talked Fishmas and recorded a great conversation with Scott and Irie of Walker Coffee Company and Walker Fly and Tackle Outdoor Guide Service in the Antelope Valley. Since then, the Stay Home Directive has put a necessary delay to the season and forced many businesses to put up temporarily closed signs from one end of the county to the other. Through this, though, we see the collective effort of the Mono County community reaching out to volunteer time and resources, provide support, and help each other through this challenging period. Stacy, Christopher, and I are proud to call this area home, proud to have dynamic east side neighbors like Scott and Irie, and we look forward to the day when the welcome signs are hung up again, our doors reopen, and people can once again gather in a coffee shop to swap fishing stories. With that in mind, we bring you our Merry Fishmas episode of Oxygen Starved Podcasts as originally recorded. Stay home and stay healthy. Welcome to the latest episode of Oxygen Starved, the podcast that brings you your ABCs, adventure, books, and conversations from 11,000 feet with your esteemed hosts, Dr. Stacy Adler of the Mono County Office of Education and Mr. Christopher Platt of the Mono County Free Library. Welcome listeners to another episode of the Oxygen Starved podcast where we bring you your adventures, books, and conversations from 11,000 feet. I'm Stacy, And I'm Christopher. And with us as always is producer Doug. Hi, Doug. Hey, guys. How's it going? It's going well. It's going well. Happy spring. Happy spring. Spring has officially sprung. <laughs> and all the April Fools will have their hijinks tomorrow. Tomorrow, yes. Oh, I hate April Fools. Yeah, well. You know, when you're a teacher, it's never, <laughs> you know, the tax on the chair, or, you know, you know, the April- corny jokes that I never got. <laughs> or that you make. Yeah. This is true, that's right? True. Yes. This is a truth. April's full of holidays. There's April 1st, the April Fool's Day. There's April 15th, which is tax day. That's a holiday, that's right? That's a holiday. I don't know. It okay. certainly drives I, my, my April. I'm sure some people think it's a holiday. <laughs> some people not so much. But you Easter. Know, Easter is April, right? Yes, yes. There you go. Yeah. So there's some more holidays there. Yeah. And then near the end of the month this year, on Saturday, April 25th, is... Fishmas! Fishmas! Yeah. Like Christmas with more fish. Yes. <laughs> An outdoor Christmas. An outdoor Christmas. A Christmas you don't have to go... A Christmas you don't have to go crazy buying presents for. <laughs> Are you sure they don't give gifts for Fishmas? Maybe some families do. We do not. <laughs> we do not partake of the gifts at Fishmas. Maybe we should stop and describe what Fishmas is to our listeners. Yes. Yeah, so for those of you that don't know, Fishmas is the first day of fishing season Woo-hoo. and literally starts off with a bang at sunrise. A bang at sunrise? A bang because 
a gun or a cannon or fireworks or something are shot off at Crowley Lake <laughs> at sunrise on the first day of fishing season to would, let everybody know when they can put their lines in the water. In the water. What time is yeah. that? Is that like the crack of dawn? Or? It is. It's at sunrise. Oh my gosh. Yeah, literally. So I'm, I'm like across, you know, my house is across 395 from the lake. So we get to hear it. <laughs> so everyone who lives in Crowley Lake community just wakes up at that time Pretty that much. morning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Crowley Lake is yeah. a popular destination for opening a fishing season. It is. It is. You'll have cars lined up outside the gates, you know, like days in advance to, you know, get in and get their camp spot and, you know, mm-hmm. fish and game are on high alert to make sure nobody's fishing before you know, the official start time and without a license. Yeah, exactly. All those good things. Yep. Yeah. It's a big deal. It is a big it's deal. It's a lot of fun though. I remember it from when I was a kid it was yeah. like you would Crowley Lake, which is near the Southern end of mm-hmm. the County. There's lakes all up and down this yep. Eastern Sierra and there's fishing all up and down, but Crowley is a nice convenient big lake to get to that they stock with a lot of fish mm-hmm. and it would be elbow to elbow around the yeah. shore when I was growing up. It's, mm-hmm. it's a, pretty popular destination. It, it really is. And, um, you know, we, in, ad, in advance of, of our, um, discussion of fish, fishmas and <laughs> our episode today, we went and visited the Hot Creek Hatchery. Which is near there. Which is very close. It's right in between Crowley Lake and, and Mammoth. Mm-hmm. Near, it's kind of close to the Mammoth Airport, yeah. actually. And to see how they, they raise their fish in preparation to to swoop them all up and stock the lakes. Yeah, so this is a long history in the mm-hmm. Eastern Sierra. There are, there were, and I st- there still are, a number of fish hatcheries. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hot Creek is one of the mm-hmm. most important because it's fed by geothermal water. Right. Like I think it's like 60 degrees Fahrenheit 60 to 68 is probably what it runs. Yeah, so it makes it very convenient for ra- raising uh, broodstock right. of trout, trout. Mm-hmm. which is what they stock here. And different types of species of trout. Yeah, rainbow. Too. Rainbow, brown, brown, and um, gosh, I can't remember the third, brook, brook trout. Could uh, be. Cutthroat. Cutthroat. Yeah. They used to uh, bring these fish up into the lakes and the streams on mule trains horse on horseback and they had and also they used to fly them in and dump them from airplanes now i think it's trucks right yes a big truck sucks up all the fish Mm -hmm. and drives up to a lake and shoots them into the water right um but yeah so we visited the hatchery so we we could look at all the different stages of the fish so much it was so much fun to see them and it was our second attempt (laughs) because our first attempt we tried before it was officially open and we got in a little bit of trouble. Because we drove down a wrong road. Yes, we went down private road <laughs> and we quickly turned around and left. This time we called ahead <laughs> and made sure that uh, they were open and we could go and, and visit. And this fish hatchery has been open since 1928. Yeah, it's so an old one. Really long, almost 100 years old. And it's got giant raceways full of mm-hmm. different stages of fish. Everything right. from the baby fish. Yep. The, the fry. The fry. And then the next stage is the like... Fingerlings. Fingerling. And then they yes. get gradually get bigger mm-hmm. until you see yeah. these monster fish. Yeah. And trout can average, and when they're fully grown, which takes about two to three years, mm-hmm. they can average anywhere between six inches to about 16 inches long. Yeah. And they can live up to 11 years. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. That, I When we were doing the research for this, that... That really surprised me. Yeah, that is so. that surprises me too. Yeah, it's like 
That's like really, really old fish. If you've lived 11 years, you know what's going on. Well, and the question I asked you, and maybe I'll, I'll throw it out to our listeners because maybe some of you with more trout experience than I know this, but I wonder if an older trout, an 11-year-old trout tastes different than a <laughs> six-year-old trout. <laughs> Just throwing know? that out there. I don't know. How don't, would you know if they're 11 years old? You can't, they can't like count trout rings. That's a good point. Listeners, do you know how to tell how old a trout is? (laughs) Hit us up on our email. Email us and let us know if you you know the answer to that. (laughs) We'll be talking to a a fly fishing guide in the conversation segment. Maybe we should ask him. I know. We should, (laughs) should do that. But, you know, what's great, one great hallmark of Mono County is that it holds the state record for the biggest trout caught. That does not surprise the, me. Yeah, what is the it? The biggest biggest brown trout. Biggest I should trout. I should clarify that. So the biggest brown trout caught was twenty six pounds eight ounces. Holy cow. It was caught in nineteen eighty seven in Twin Upper Twin Lakes, which is just north of Bridgeport. So uh, kind of in the middle of the county. Yes. Great yeah. fishing destination. Very popular. There. Yes. Yeah. That was a fish that saw some time too. 26 to pounds. pounds. I know. Could you imagine? No wonder that record has stood for so long. Remember when, some of our listeners might remember when we were talking about when we visited Convict Lake mm-hmm. and how there is this myth of this like hundred year old fish that's supposed <laughs> that's right. to be like a hundred pounds at the bottom of, of Convict, Convict Lake. Lake. It might have been related to the fishing yeah. that was caught in Twin Lakes. Maybe they're cousins. Yeah, maybe they're cousins. And maybe that fish never got the chance to become the mythical fish maybe because it not. was caught. But the fish hatchery is so much fun to visit yeah. when my kids were little and you know, we had some time to kill on a weekend. That was their favorite place to go and feed the fish and it's great for kids. check it out. It's so and it it's great for adults too. Yeah. We so enjoyed it. We oh we totally had fun. Yeah. Um yeah, just so you know, there, Fishmas is at the end of April, and then in June, for those of you with families, um, they do do the hatchery does um, a trout fest yes. at the hatchery. So it's family oriented. Go and look at the fish and learn about them. Yeah, a couple of other things going on. April twenty fourth, there's the fly fishing on film tour uh, here in Mammoth Lakes, mm-hmm. which I love. These kind of outdoors film mm-hmm. fests Festivals, that we yeah. have in the Eastern Sierra. A lot of them are snow based or hiking based, and this one's fish based. So all your fishermen come up and check it out. And then um, later in the episode, we'll be talking to, again, a, a fishing guide from the north part of the county, the Walker, Colville, and Topaz area. And during the month of July, they have the How Big is Big Fishing Derby on the West Walker River. So there's stuff going on from the north to the south here. And that's just a small taste of it. Just a taste. So we'll put a link on our website to the um, Mono County Tourism site that has all of the fishing-related events listed for you to check out. We know a lot of you are eagerly awaiting opening. You're packing up your campers and your tents, and and you're probably packing them weeks in the head, just waiting to come up here. So we can't wait for you to get here either. Throw a line in there and enjoy yourselves. Take a deep breath and we'll be right back. Ample oxygen is a basic requirement for human molecular metabolism. Listeners, welcome back to the Oxygen Start podcast. We are at the reading portion, the books portion of the podcast. The B part. 
I always say it's my favorite part and it kind of is, but I like all three of the parts. I do too. I, l- I just like talking about the things that we talk about. <laughs> no favorite children no, on this podcast. N- none. So this time of year, you know, when we were planning out the calendar for the year, last year at this time we were well under snow still. Yes. And this winter was a little bit different and we had anticipated maybe we need to do some outdoors books because people will really be under cabin fever mm-hmm. right. by the end of March, early April. Yeah. Um, not so much what turned turned out. No, it's but, been a lot warmer and drier <laughs> this year. But you know, that still applies because that means more opportunity for people to be outdoors doing different things. Right. So we're talking about outdoors books this time. Yes. Stacy, what did you read? I've read uh, the book called The Last Season by Eric Blem. Mm-hmm. And this book was recommended to me by a couple of our listeners, Sarah Ray and Jessica Kennedy. So shout out to Sarah and Jessica. Thank you for this recommendation. Awesome. When I told them we were going to be talking about outdoors books, they said, have you read this? And I said, no. And they I said, you have to read it. And they were right. Listener Rex. That's awesome. Yeah. It was, I was really excited. So um, it really is a great read. And it's, this is part adventure outdoor book, part mystery, mm-hmm. part character study, part travelogue. It's got <laughs> all these elements to it wrapped up in this book that was so extraordinarily researched. Yeah. Um, Eric Blem, he, he spent several years researching this story and the, the stories about this, um, um, National Parks Ranger, mm-hmm. Randy Morganson, mm-hmm. who had been um, a ranger for 28 years, and then he goes missing. And the story is tells about his life, what led him to become a National Parks Ranger, mm-hmm. and then it parallels his growing up and his life with the search for him. And the search takes place over several years before the National Park Service said we're not searching anymore. So he went missing in the backcountry? Yes. He went while he was on patrol. He went off on patrol and this was in the summer of 1996 Mm -hmm. and, you know, they're supposed to have daily check-ins with their radios which never work well. That's pointed out very often, frequently throughout the story that the radios that the National Park Service supplies to these rangers are not good. Okay. Um, And um, he goes out and then he doesn't check back in. Mm. And so, you know, three days go by, four days go by, and then they start, they kind of, it takes them a few, a little bit of time to actually activate what they call a SAR, a search and rescue. Right. S-A-R. So, um, it just, it's a very compelling story. You want to keep reading to find out what's going to happen. And I didn't know about, I didn't really know about this story. Mm Um, and I didn't realize when it was recommended to me that the people, many of the people that are in, that are interviewed and are a part of the story are people that I know because they live here. Right. So the story, he goes missing in the Sequoia Kings Canyon National Park. Mm -hmm. That's where his... Um, area is. Yeah, his post which is was a, there. Which is a little bit south of where correct, we are. Correct, yeah. correct. Yeah, about about 100 miles south of Yosemite. Mm-hmm. 
So, and, but just as um, dangerous and remote terrain, Mm -hmm. you know, as you would find in some of the, the mountains here, you find there as well. So, um, you know, really learned a lot about what it's like to be a ranger, what they, what they go through living for months and months at a time alone where, you know, they'll go days without seeing somebody. And then, you know, they're at times their lives are put into peril rescuing other people who have, right. because usually because the other people have done something either above their ability or they, they haven't paid attention to their surroundings and they get into trouble. And then these Rangers have to go in and save them yeah. at risking their own lives to do so. And some of our listeners may remember when we spoke to uh, Taylor from Randy Ta- Taylor yes, from right. Bodie. Yeah. He's a national park ranger as well, and mm-hmm. or California state park ranger. Right. But these are law enforcement folks. Yes. you know they're they're on patrol. They're really patrolling, mm-hmm. and they're they're armed right. and they're trained in how to rescue people or the procedures. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Yes, and you know that was a that was an interesting element to this story is that when he went missing, there was some consideration of well. What was his mental state? Yeah. You know, he had he had suddenly had kind of a change of attitude, and there was some speculation that perhaps he went missing on purpose. Oh, wow. And um, that's kind of dealt with in the book. But he did not take his firearm with him mm. when he went off on his patrol. Okay. So that was, you know, they kind of said, well, no, he didn't take his gun with him. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he probably didn't kill himself. You know, that was one of their theories. So the book itself is about this, the detail of the search for him. Yes. So it parallels the, the first half of the book alternates chapters between the search as it's happening Mm -hmm. and his life Mm -hmm. from childhood. And, you know, he grew up in Yosemite. Yeah. So, you know, the mountains were really part of his, the fiber of his being, you know, and he had like, he had developed this encyclopedic knowledge of the wildflowers and the trees and, you know, the, the mountain peaks, you know, cause he had immersed himself and his father was really instrumental in teaching him and his brother Mm about about where they lived and appreciating it. And Ansel Adams was somebody who visited with their family frequently. Oh, that's amazing. The photographer. Yes. And, um, you know, who took, you know, is very famous for his Yosemite photographs. So, um, so it kind of alternates between those two elements so that you as the reader really get to know this guy, you know, you do, you kind of start to care about him as, and then it's juxtaposed with the people as they're doing the search and everything that's going into the search and how they're going about it and what they're finding out and what they're hypothesizing and mm-hmm. how they're communicating with each other and what led what they think is leading up to this. So it's I could have said it's a psychological drama too, yeah, you know. All the so um, yeah, it was really a really a great story. When did the book come out? It was published in 2006, so a while ago. A little while ago. Yeah, so uh, Randy Morganson disappeared in uh, 1996, so then there was 
a good chunk of time spent researching, researching what happened and wow. everything. And yeah, the author said that he went through two uh, file cabinets, four drawers each, plus three legal file boxes, mm-hmm. and that that was condensed from what Randy Morganson's wife had in her house. Wow. So, you know, quite a lot of detail there. So that's the last season. and By Eric? By Eric Blem, B-L-E-H-M. And I highly recommend it. It's a really intriguing, it's a great read. Sounds like a page turner. It is, for sure. How about you? What did you read, Christopher? Uh, Well, I will change the tenor a little bit, (laughs) but I also read nonfiction. So I chose an older book as well. This book came out in the early 90s, and it's one of Gary Paulson's books. I love this book. It's called Winter Dance, and some of our listeners may know Gary Mm -hmm. Paulson. He has written numerous, numerous young adult books, So, and many of them award winners. So Hatchet, Hatchet. Dog Song. He's written a number of memoirs with his son on Mm -hmm. road trips with their dogs. One of the things I like about Gary Paulson, he's a dog person. Yes. <laughs> and it comes out in just yeah. about all of his writing, including this one. So for those of you who aren't familiar with it, it's again called Winter Dance, the fine madness of running the Iditarod. It's such a great story. Doesn't it? Just the yes. subtitle make yeah. you want to read it. Yeah. Um, Gary Paulson's writing is really uh, engaging. Um he uh, really makes things very compelling, and he has a wry sense of humor, which is another reason I really like um, reading him. So a little bit about Gary's background, yeah. which is important to understand for mm-hmm. this book and many of his others. He had a really difficult childhood growing up in Chicago, mm-hmm. um, and then later as a kid learning to appreciate nature, living with his grandmother and being outdoors and mm-hmm. all that good stuff. Um, but he had a difficult childhood. And so in one of his interviews, he actually says what saved me was a librarian, yeah. which is a great thing to hear. Right? <laughs> He's like, um, you know, a public librarian offered me a library card and encouraged me to read, which is not an uncommon refrain to hear from people mm-hmm. when you work in libraries. Like, right. you know, I was a kid, I was lost. I was, you know, kind of yeah. directionless and a, and someone helped treat me as a person and give me a library card and suddenly a world opens up. Um, he talks about uh, writing about the Iditarod um, and how, you know, it, he, his, it almost felt safer being in this really dangerous dog race mm-hmm. than being a child for him, yeah. which really states how difficult it must have been right. for him as a kid and how that informed him as an adult. He also says writing about the Iditarod is like trying to describe war to someone. You just you have to live through it mm-hmm. to truly understand it. Um, it's so alien. He says you enter a state of primitive exaltation and you're never normal again, <laughs> <laughs> which is true. You see that transition to him in this book. So it is about him learning to dog sled right. first. Um, and then as he's getting better at dog sledding and learning how to deal with dogs, um, his friends and family start saying, are you going to do the Iditarod? You're, you're kind of behaving like you're training for the Iditarod. And they kind of basically reinforce what his internal self is already telling him. He's going to do the Iditarod. And this is back in the early 80s when there was mm-hmm. still a lot of snow and ice on that right. trail. So it was before global warming really took it off. <laughs> but um, he describes the whole process of training for the Iditarod and then going and running it. And it is really uh, an amazing feat. If I, if I remember correctly, cause it's been a while, long time since I read this 
particular mm-hmm. book, but I can remember reading it and laughing out loud in some of the the scenes. Am I remem- oh, remembering it correctly? Totally, totally. Yeah. And, and again, this is one of the things that attracts me to these books, right? Right. There's a whole scene where he's learning to run with dogs and learning that sled dogs, which are their own type mm-hmm. of dog, right. they're almost wolf and they, they're mm-hmm. bred specifically for this, aren't like your house pet dogs, right? Right. And they have their, they have their own minds, their own personalities, and they also eat skunk. And so he learns this one evening and not just with one skunk, but multiple skunks. (laughs) And um, that was a chapter that, you know, I read it. I would read a couple sentences, burst out laughing, put the book down, pick it up, read a couple more sentences, burst out laughing, put the book down. (laughs) Um, And, you know, that happens multiple times throughout. As he's learning to sled, he, 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 he paints his own flaws as, as vividly as anything else. So you really come to learn he laughs at himself. Mm -hmm. Um, He, I lost count of how many times he talks about losing control of the sled and riding face first for a few miles until he gets, you know, control or running into trees and Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. Um, And then, you know, the other thing, reading it in today's world, in 2020, you just think of, well, this is just a ridiculous feet to even attempt. This guy must be plumb crazy. You know, anyone who's ever had to deal with liability or insurance or anything like that, you know, and safety, you know, everything we do to keep our kids safe riding right. in a car is not what you do. And then I did a rod. So it's almost the opposite. It's almost the opposite. <laughs> um, but you know, he spends, you know, it's a transformational experience mm-hmm. for him. He learns more about himself. Right. He learns more about animals. And he learns more about nature and comes out at the end of it, appreciating mm-hmm. it more. It's a truly enjoyable read. You can do it in an afternoon. Yeah. It's again, it's called Winter Dance by Gary Paulson. We have it in the library, and I think you could probably order it at your local bookstore. Great book. And I'm going to just take a moment and talk about one other book, yep. if I may. Please. So, a couple of years ago, I read this book by um, Peter Wolobin, um, which I think I'm pronouncing correctly. Uh, it was called The Hidden Life of Trees, and it was on the bestseller lists mm-hmm. for quite a while. It was this yep. brief little smallish book where he talks, he was a forest manager in Germany and he talks about how, you know, what we see when we walk through a forest isn't everything that's happening. And and especially what caught the zeitgeist with this book, who I just mentioned the word zeitgeist, um, (laughs) is, uh, that's an inside joke. Sorry, you had to be here, I think for the first (laughs) podcast to hear that. But when you walk through a forest, the trees are actually communicating with each other. They, their root systems may intermingle underground or there's fungus underground. And so we are beginning as humans to learn more about soil and soil right. science and what goes on underground as much as what goes on above ground. And that book was so successful. He did a young adult or young reader version mm-hmm. of it. It's almost like a picture book, but it brings out those same concepts in a much simpler way mm-hmm. um, that a parent or a teacher could use um, with their kids. And it just came out last year, so it's a new book. And um, again, one of the things I just find fascinating about this is, you know, it illustrates these things that are totally unexpected, but all around us. And that yeah. that fungus network underneath, he, he calls it the forest internet. Oh, how and cute. It is cute. It's how um, nutrients are shared. Mm-hmm. So a big tree can share nutrients with a small tree. Mm-hmm. And it's all through this 
this thing. And he talks about how if you bring up a, like a teaspoon or a tablespoon worth of soil mm-hmm. and were to line out all the fungal network end to end, it would be about a mile long. Wow. Because some of it is so thin, you can't see it with the naked eye. So, you know, I just wanted to mention it because it's outdoor season. Mm-hmm. A lot of young families are going to be out traipsing on trails, yeah. going to the lakes. And this is a good book to kind of just browse through before or after. And tell us the name of it again. It is called, Can You Hear the Trees Talking? Discovering the Hidden Life of the Forest. I think that's, I think it's really cool. And it's amazing to me when I talk to young kids today, how much more aware of the environment they are than when I was little. Yeah. You know, they're much more conscious about doing the right thing as far as recycling and, mm-hmm. you know, taking care of the planet is important to little kids. So yeah. this is a, a great book for little ones out there to learn more about the trees. And their parents too, because yeah. he, he puts the concepts out there so simply mm-hmm. <laughs> that even my brain can understand it. <laughs> um, yeah, but it's fascinating. Again, it's Peter Wollobin. Can you hear the trees talking? I got this from a local bookstore, mm-hmm. so you can stop by Spellbinders or Bookie Joint or elsewhere. Um, and I also up. ordered copies for the library, so awesome. I encourage you to browse through it. We will have links to all the books we've talked about today on the website, so check it out. You're dialed in to Oxygen Starved, the podcast that brings you your ABCs, Adventure, Books and conversations from 11,000 feet, originating from the slopes of Mammoth Mountain in Mono County, California. You can find us at SoundCloud. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us at OxygenStarvedPodcast.com. Just make sure you find us. Welcome back, listeners. We have arrived at the C conversation part of our podcast, and we have some great guests today that we're so excited to talk to. We have Scott Moore and Irie. Irie, tell me how to pronounce your last name. Sakane. Sakane. With us from from Walker area, our first Walker guests. This is awesome. Yeah, we're so happy to have you guys. Thank you. Thank you. We're happy to be here. Scott and I rerun the Walker Coffee Company and the Walker Fly and Tackle Outdoor Guide Service Company. That's a mouthful. (laughs) So tell us, how did you guys get up? What is your story? How did you get to Walker, California? Well, uh, I was living in the Reno area for about the past four years. And um, Scott was in South Lake Tahoe. And um, before we moved to Walker, we were in Markleyville for about nine months. Okay. Beautiful. Yeah, we loved it there. Uh, We were looking for a place to buy together. And Scotty always wanted to be um, somewhere Riverside. And so we were looking to see what properties were available Riverside. And we stumbled upon a home in Walker. And... So that's events. Uh, that's how we ended up here initially. Yeah, the, um, the we we moved out here. We bought the house and found out that there was a opportunity to get this house right on the river. Nice acre, quiet, you know, just quiet community. And we really had no plans on like what to do for work or business being way out, way out here. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've had a, a background in coffee. I opened a coffee shop in Jamestown, North Dakota, and oh, wow. 2011, 2011 or 12, and sold that a few years ago. Um, so just kind of with, you know, there's a coffee shop here locally, but nothing like, you know, anybody in the city would be used to. Uh, so we saw an opportunity, the opportunity presented itself and, uh, we decided to just run with it. Just jumped for it. Yeah. Bought the house and opened the, the two businesses and now the, now here location at MWTC within six months. (laughs) Fast track. So for our listeners, the MWTC, remember, is the Mount, the Marine Mountain Warfare Training Center, which has appeared on the podcast a couple of times now. <laughs> so now they're getting a third shout out. I think they owe us free t-shirts I at think, this point, I think Stacey. they do. <laughs> I will say, I, I, I loved, I, when I first stopped into Walker Coffee, I was coming back from Colville Library one day, and Irie, you were at the at the counter, and I just asked for a coffee, and you're like, you know, the coffee, maybe, maybe I should just make you a can you take a, an Americano? Cause it's probably be more fresh. And I was like, wow, oh. I would not necessarily <laughs> expect to hear on the Eastern Sierra, but it was really wonderful and reassuring. So. Aww, thank you. what do you think of the coffee? I thought it was, the <laughs> <laughs> it was great. It's, and I was actually, you know, that's really what caught my eye is that, you know, there's this great little coffee house there um, with everything you would expect. And then on the other half of the room is the fly tackle and fishing guide service. So, was that intentional? Absolutely was, yeah. So if you notice our logo, it's got the coffee cup with a green little uh, mayfly on it. Uh, <laughs> branding that kind of and marketing it, fly on coffee. Uh, so now we catch two demographics, fly fishermen and coffee drinkers, and we can introduce the two um, to one another if, you know. Awesome. Do, you, do you have t-shirts yet? Because that would be an awesome t-shirt. It's in the works. Oh, yeah. awesome. Okay. All right. Keep us so posted. Our, um, uh, our now here or nowhere logo. <laughs> kind of a fun play on words. And, That's awesome. Very cool. So do you guys, do you roast your own beans or how, what's all that process like? We get all our beans from uh, Alpen Sierra. They're a local company. They're, they call themselves the Tahoe Roasters. They're based out of Minden. And it's all organic. They do a special blend for us, and it's called the Walker Blend. Okay. And you come in and get our daily brew. Um, that's what you'll be drinking. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So local that's, sports. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I want to tell you a little bit about the Walker Blend. So it stems from uh, all organic uh, Mexico and Peru blend. And that was uh, not chosen only because the beans paired really nice together. But uh, prior to all this venture and the move to Walker, Irie and I spent uh, some time in Peru, just kind of nomading it. I was there two and a half months, and Irie was there about two weeks or so. Um, just really, really cool happenings out there. And then we were invited to do a holistic healing retreat in Mexico uh, last summer. Actually, this time, exactly a year ago, we were in Mexico doing this retreat. And um, we just thought it was... a uh, pretty special pairing to bring both, you know, Mexico and Peru beans together and bring that to Walker. So it, it runs deeper than like a good bean paired together. There's a good story behind it. So yeah, that's a great story. That's good karma. You know, for our listeners, you guys, can uh, you describe um, a little bit about the Antelope Valley and where Walker is and what the river is and all that kind of stuff so they can kind of get a sense of where you are? 
Yeah, so uh, Walker, really small community, kind of paired with uh, Colville. And if you look at anything with the address, there's no address that exists at Walker, California. It's all within the boundaries of Colville in the Antelope Valley. And Antelope Valley, um, I guess, you know, we're pretty new to the area too, but historically it's farmland. Uh, the Parks family owns a lot of land out here. There's a lot of cattle. And uh, the Walker River stretch, uh, West Walker runs through the canyon to Topaz, uh, Lake Topaz, where there's the inlet into Topaz right there. But uh, I, I don't know, I think the census uh, last year, I don't know if we got the new numbers yet, was 700 and less than 750 people within this valley here. And we're the last little town on the south end before you go through the canyon, Bridgeport or Sonora Pass. Right. It's right. one of the more one of the more beautiful stretches of road in Mono County in the Eastern Sierra. And it, it really is what takes you up to Nevada. I believe Topaz Lake is the Nevada state line, right? It is. Yep. So you guys have traveled all over, you know, Peru, Mexico, you know, North Dakota, Reno, South Lake Tahoe. Is is Eastern Sierra it for you guys? What what draw you, drew you to stay in the Eastern Sierra and not go off on some other adventure? Um, Eastern Sierra. Um, so just to get a little personal here, I've got kids that live in South Lake Tahoe with their mother and it uh, was important for me to be close to my kids, but still get out of that Tahoe lifestyle and still be close to them. Mm -hmm. And, uh, Antelope Valley and Walker has everything that I love in life, fishing, the outdoors. You can drive 10 minutes and not see another person or another building lost in the, the woods. Right. So, <laughs> um, that, that's what I love. It was, it was a good, uh, good place to settle down and plant some roots um ultimately i will i i will rest my head in montana yeah uh, yeah that uh just that wild big sky country is um pretty pristine I, i've heard this place um the whole little antelope valley be called uh alaska of california heard that a couple times so <laughs> is that just because it's so sparse probably or i don't know or beautiful i don't know both. <laughs> well, we've, we've heard about your coffee, the coffee side of your business, but how about the guide side? What Talk to us a little bit about what you provide to customers with your guiding services. So we did um, this over the winter time, I'm pretty avid duck hunter. So with a partnership, um, we did some guided duck hunts. And we did pretty good. Uh, a couple of the clients were military family members and then um, a fellow guide school um, goer with me. But right now we are currently working on four-day pack trips, overnight pack trips to uh, Upper and Lower Long Lake through Levitt Meadow Pack Station. So just to name drop, uh, Craig Randall runs that. And him and I have been putting together some packages where we will bring some clients up, float tubes, fly rods, all the tackle, um, horses and pack mules where we go up to uh, just above Lane Roosevelt Lake. And we set up a base camp for four days where we will provide uh, three meals a day. We'll provide a camp breakfast, a sack lunch, and then a nice big dinner. And um, from there, we have the opportunity of fishing uh, the West Walker stretch of like the Levitt Meadow right there, as well as floating Upper and Lower Long Lake for some big 
uh, Eastern Sierra cutthroats and rainbows and just some nice native fish up there. And <laughs> Very the, cool. Yeah, the the trip tentatively the the first trip is running second week of July, so we can fill eight spots on that trip uh, with the max of eight people. We could take ten if uh, if there was a group that wanted all to go together. But we'll be running six trips a year or this year uh, with Levitt Meadow Pack Station, and they'll all be overnight with uh, with food provided and the camp chef and everything. Wow, that's so cool. And fly fishing is is all catch and release, is that correct? It is. That's what I promote. Mm-hmm. Um, the river here is sustainable enough, I feel, and a lot of others locally feel the same way. But it is sustainable that if we can start promoting the catch and release uh, aspect of it, I think we can really rebuild this river's habitat for uh, native native fish coming up and spawning. So. Nice. Right. Because California, I understand the fishing regulations are kind of under review, right? And, and may change. That's yeah. Constantly changing, but I think they're making some good progress around here. That's great. Uh, just a year round opening catch and release, uh, barbless for, uh, you know, trout all through the Canyon. I think that's a really good yeah. step in the right direction. Um, mm-hmm. the Stacy was mouthing, we should do that when you were describing the pack trip. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll, have, we'll have to talk to you about that offline. <laughs> okay, perfect. And now, Irie, are you a guide as well? Uh, no, I'm not a guide. Um, I started getting into it probably since we moved here to Walker. Um, but I've been, I got all my own gear, my waders, my fly rod and everything for my birthday. Awesome. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. You're going to be right there with you, with him. Yeah. Yeah. You teach her to fish and she'll pull the biggest fish out, you know? Entirely. <laughs> Entirely. <laughs> On occasion. <laughs> <laughs> well, for our listeners, I will mention, you know, the Eastern Sierra is famous for its different pack outfits. Levitt Meadows is a great one. And it is an astonishing thing to see pack mules packed up with people's gear, fishing rods, all the food, sometimes bathtubs, you know, little inflatable boats and everything. It's amazing what you can get on the back of a mule and take it to the mountains. Yeah. They're so hardy. <laughs> they are. And I feel like it pairs so well with just riding the horses up fishing and then riding the horses back down. Just overall a like, great experience. Yeah, yeah. totally. Like you travel through time a little bit through the the Eastern Sierras here. It's old, really largely untouched land, you know? Yeah. If you could do it in a way that's uh, natural without a motor, I feel like it's really, really nice to connect with it. A lot of deep insight comes when you do it that way. Entirely. So um, one other thing, I read that uh, and Scott, that stuck out at me is, you know, I follow the library, I should say, Mono County Libraries. I'll give myself a little plug there. Follows your guys' Instagram account, the Walker Coffee Company Instagram account. And I see, um, like, you've done an origami workshop. You have, I think it's, is it a family night or a spoken word night coming up at the end of the month? Or Yes, an open mic night. That's awesome. So, so can you tell us, like, what is your motivation for doing that? Uh, well, moving here and then opening a coffee shop has been a great way for us to engage with the community and get to know the community. And we feel really blessed to be a part of it. And, um, we've just been having people coming up and asking if they can have events there. Um, I wanted to do the origami class, Scott actually, 
encouraged me a lot to do it. But, uh, <laughs> it's just, uh, it's been, uh, this is the most we've ever been a part of the community and felt so much support yeah. also. And um, we're just riding the flow and enjoying the experience of it all. Want to give back where we can too. That's awesome. That's so great. And it's so much fun to drive down 395, you know, whether I'm going toward the schools or away from the schools and see your flags up in front of your business and the energy that just is present around it. So I think it's so exciting. Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) Thank you. It's, it's also, you know, especially in the small communities and you get a, you did a great description, you know, a few hundred people living in that entire valley. Um, it's nice to have kind of little destination places where you can hang out and be that kind of, you know, third space where people can come together and congregate and, you know, chat and just get to know one each other, one another and what have you. Um, it's really important uh, in the Eastern Sierra. We were talking about that at, in an earlier episode uh, with the Lee Vining Library hosting a one-man play by producer Doug and how that brought just a bunch of people into a room on a Sunday afternoon and they congregated and we had a great time. So, you know, it's just so important to, to have that kind of community activity. Mm-hmm. What, what is your, what for our listeners, for people driving through, what are your hours? So they know when they can come in and grab some coffee and a snack and meet you guys. So, we are open seven days a week. Uh, we're open from 6 to 4 on the weekdays, Monday through Friday, and 8 to 4 on the weekends. We are we're probably going to extend the weekdays and well, the weekends also to um, 5 or 6 o'clock in the summertime when it gets busier. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the 4 o'clock will probably become our winter hours. Great. No rest for the weary up there. (laughs) Not seeming so. (laughs) So Scott and Ivy, can you guys tell us um, what books are you reading right now or books you want to recommend to our listeners? Um, We've actually been, I personally haven't been reading a book continuously. Uh, We've been pretty busy. (laughs) But um, there is one that I will pick up and go to uh, once in a while. It's called The Dream Book. Okay. By uh, Betty Bethard, I think is how you say her name. But um, there's some, for the first couple, it's a really easy read. The actual reading part is just uh, probably just about 50 pages or so, not even. And then the rest are dream symbols. And um, so they say in this book, they talk about how in dreams, you don't actually take the story literally but you pick out the symbols within your dream and um kind of figure out what it's actually trying the message is trying to portray to you so that has been kind of a fun fun book that i've been going back to yeah dream dream interpretation books are are really popular in libraries i know a lot of people um check them out and read them do you mm-hmm. Do you, I hardly ever remember my dreams unless they're disturbing. Do you, do you always remember your dreams? No, not always. So, but sometimes I will have dreams that I remember and it's very clear. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, that's cool. So that's uh, the dream book by Betty Bethards. Yes. All right, cool. Put a link to that on, on the website. Scott, do you have a book? 
Yeah, I do. So um, I do audio books mostly for the amount of driving that we do going into town and up to the yeah. base. Yeah. It's just more suiting for my lifestyle. But uh, one that I've been on pretty consistently is American Buffalo by Steve Rennell. He, uh, he's the, he does uh, Meat Eater on Netflix, if anybody knows that mm-hmm. show. Uh-huh. Uh, he wrote a book on, <clears throat> on the American Buffalo and how he was lucky enough to draw a tag out of thousands of people. Only 75 or so people were drawn to hunt buffalo in Alaska. Oh, wow. Still one of the, the, the wild herds up there. And uh, he he goes into you know like really deep history of um, the bison you know uh, on the bison skull and how that was approved on the nickel and um, it's really interesting and he's got a good way to he, he tells stories very well. So it's kind of like a, a narrative nonfiction book, right? Like kind of puts it all in context and and turns it into a, a, a story that kind of captures you in or is it is it just more just informational uh it's informational but yeah i think it is like a narrative nonfiction where he he also details his hunt and the yeah. process of going up and down the rivers and yeah um you know it, it's it's really interesting cool. and i just picked up another book yesterday that i'm excited to um get into it's called the energy of words by michelle abreu or a Arbo, actually. Um, anyways, I uh, have it sitting right here. I'm excited to get into that one. You haven't started that one yet? Not yet. I just picked it up last night in town. Awesome. So did, was it the cover that got you or just like the blurb or why did you pick it up? Uh, the, uh, it's been a lesson lately. How to communicate, right? The energy of words, how to communicate with you know our partner, our yep. customers. Mm-hmm. Employee. Yeah, employee. <laughs> you know, like what what energy are my words putting out? Is it and how is it perceived? So it was just uh kind of where I've been at lately and I wanted to dive more into. Yeah, that sounds like another one. Yeah. It's like something like we should read too. We should all read. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Communication is the root of everything. Well, where can we find and where can our listeners find you guys on social media? We've mentioned your Instagram. What What's your Instagram handle? Our Instagram uh, for the coffee shop is Walker Coffee Company. And uh, we also have the hashtags uh, Fly on Coffee. And also we found Walker CA, California. Okay. Awesome. Great. And for our Fly and Tackle, it is Walker Fly N Tackle, the letter N. Uh, um, we also have for the, our base location now here or nowhere, um, MWTC. Nowhere MWTC. For our listeners who didn't catch that, we will make sure we put this on our show page. So you can always, you don't have to write this down while you're driving (laughs) Uh, and you can, uh, follow these great these great local community influencers in the Northern Mono County online for yourself. And we do, I encourage you guys who are listening, if you're going up or down 395, just pop into Walker Coffee Company in the Flying Tackle store. Uh, you will not be disappointed. So listeners, again, thank you for joining us for another episode of the Oxygen Starved podcast. We are really grateful that you listen. Please follow us on Instagram at O2Starved. Hit us up with questions or comments on Instagram. We love getting feedback from people. You can find us at 
oxygenstarvedpodcast.com to see the show page. And then, of course, we're on all the major podcast platforms. So we do encourage you to find us through your podcast platform and please leave us a rating and comments. We love reading your comments, um, even if they're not all positive. So just chip in, let us know what's going on and um, have a great time. Take a breath, slow down. You're at high altitude. Enjoy the spring. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thanks for joining us here for Oxygen Star. Our outro music, Iron Bacon, is composed and performed by Kevin McLeod in Competech.com, Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. 